Y'all may be seated. God bless you. Wow. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I'll tell you, I uh, got a little mixed emotions this morning about finishing this series on who is Jesus because I think that everything that we do, everything we talk about, everything that we are in the church hinges on this truth of who Christ is because here's the reality. Jesus is what separates us from all other religions. If you go and listen to people like Robbie Zacharias, who's a great apologist, you've heard me say this before, he was in a debate with, with several other world religion leaders, and he will go into the far corners of the country, he'll go into India, he'll go into China, he'll go into Afghanistan, and he'll stand toe-to-toe with these people. Why? Because he knows that this book that God holds above his own name is the truth, and it holds absolute power, it's inerrant, it's infallible, and the person of Jesus Christ in John 1 and 14, who we beheld his glory, he became the flesh of this word, that, that is the power that he goes in. And all of these different world religions were standing among some of the greatest apologists within their own right. And they all said, you know what, let's just agree to disagree. There's a mountaintop that we're all trying to get to. And at the top is God. Whatever that God looks like to you, whether it's Allah, whether it's Buddha, whether it's God, Jehovah, whatever the case may be. And we're trying to get there and we're just all taking different paths. And Ravi Zacharias in his charismatic, very calm, monotone demeanor, he stood up and he said, you know, you're exactly right. There are many paths to the top. But the difference in my God is that my God left the top and came to the bottom and brought me up to where he is. See, Jesus, listen, he left He left all of his glory in heaven. He stepped into humanity, put on the flesh that we have to wear, associated with our hurts and our fears and weariness and our thirst and all the things that he did. But he stepped into that. Why? So he could be reachable. Who is Jesus? Uh, Adrian Rogers says it this way. He says, to know him is to love him. To love him. It's to obey him. To obey him is to be like him. That's the reality is we got to know who he is. And in, in, in Matthew's gospel, we don't have to turn there. We see in Matthew chapter 16 that the question is posed by Jesus to his disciples. Who do people say that I am? And it's a question that's not meant for rhetoric, but for an answer's sake. And they said, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say all these things. But the reality is, is he really cut to the core of their heart when he said, but who do you say that I am? I think it's a question we all have to answer today. Is he a carpenter's son? Is he a great man? Is he a great prophet? Well, as I shared with you when we first started this, the reality is, is he can be none of those things and yet still declare to be the Son of God, God in the flesh. If he said those things and they were not true, he would be a complete lunatic, as are many others who have declared themselves to be the Messiah. So we either believe he's a lunatic or we believe he is God in the flesh. Amen? And watch this. Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Upon this truth, that's what I'll build my church upon, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If you have your Bibles there, I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And that's kind of the text for, for this whole series. And I'll finish it today, Lord willing, and to kind of understand and unfold kind of where we're going in the next weeks to come. But I believe with all of my heart that the coolest part of the fact in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12 through 15 is the last few verses that says, In whom we have redemption through his blood. Watch this. And if that's not enough, even the redemption and the forgiveness of sins, who, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature what does that mean jesus and i said this last week jesus is the one who reveals the father 
You see, God in the Old Testament was untouchable, unapproachable. Un, un, you couldn't speak to him. You couldn't even call out his name. In the Old Testament, they wouldn't even call out the name Jehovah God because it was so holy. There were times where the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the, the, the Spirit of God in the presence of man, it was one point in time where it was being moved from point A to point B, and it went to topple over, about to fall, and man reacted the, main, the way man would react, and they went to stop it from falling off on the ground and immediately fell to death. Why? Because because God is a holy God. He cannot look upon man. The Bible says you can't look upon God and live as Moses declared when he tried to see God's face. But Jesus came from the invisible, unapproachable, out there, unfathomable God into full view that we could grab onto him, that we can see him. Think of the woman with the issue of blood. She literally got to the, the end of his garments and touched him and was made completely whole by the faith in this man, Jesus. You say, Mark, what about us today? I'm glad you asked. He said, it's expedient that I go away, that I may send another one, a paraclete, a comforter in my place. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Look to your friend and say, that's a good deal. Now, you need to look to your other neighbor and say, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's not going to leave you hopeless. He's going to grab onto you and you can't get out of it. I love what Johnny Hunt said. If you're in Christ's hand, you can't get out if you want to get out. Nothing can separate you from that. So we said that he's the one who reveals the Father. And then I gave you seven ways, and I think I finished through about three or four of them, so I want to give you those this morning. The seven I am's in John's gospel, we see the declaration of how we can know who Jesus is by Jesus' own words to the world. And this is what he said in John 6 and 35. He said, I am the bread of life. Who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. He is that which we feed upon. Remember, I told you it's like the manna in the Old Testament. You can't just eat of Christ on Sunday and expect to be filled all the way through next Saturday. You don't do that with your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Why would you do that with the person of Christ? you got to feast on him daily. And we talked about the two natures of Christ. And then we talked about in John 8 and 12 that Jesus spoke to him again and said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Watch this. He is the one who permeates and breaks open the darkness of this world. How many of you know we're going to see darkness? We're going to see detriment. We're going to see harm. And we're going to see dark places. But watch this. Just like a flashlight. Hear me good, church. We don't take a flashlight and walk around during the day, do we? It would be silly. We take a flashlight when it's dark and we need to break through that darkness. That's what you and I are called to be, the light of the world through Jesus' light shining out into a dark place. Listen, can I tell you something? That light gets bright and sometimes the world don't just embrace that, do they? The world wants to reject and push away the light of the world that operates in and through us in the person of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the light of the world. Number three. He says in John 10, 9, he says, I'm the door. If anyone enters in by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I said last week, and it really was tough on, on me personally when I did this. I want you all to pray for me because I asked last week, I said, how many guys in the room felt like they could beat me up? And there was about, there's not even 300 people in here. And I think like four people, 400 people raised their hand, including some women. It was really tough. But here's the reality. My point was this, that just like Jesus was, was the shepherd, and we'll see that in a minute, he said, I'm the door. It was a picture of the shepherd in the sheepfold, and he became the door, and he said, nothing comes in and touches my sheep unless they come through what? Through me. And watch this. I said this and kind of jokingly said, you know, you think you could take me, whatever. That's awesome. But watch this. You can't touch me. Man can't harm me unless God allows him into the door of my life. That should be encouraging to some of us because here's what Jesus said. Don't fear man who can take your physical life, but you should fear the one who can take your soul. He said, I'm the door. 
I open the door. It's freely open for you. Can you take the punches, I said last week. And then number four is where we start today. John 10 and 11. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives us life for his sheep. Hebrews 4 and 15, watch this. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Watch this. Yet he did not sin. If you read Psalm 23, you often think that it's a death psalm. I preached many funerals before I really wrapped my head around Psalm 23. That the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Guys, I can stop right there. We can preach a whole year of services on just that one point. That he has met my need. He has came for me. The shepherd-sheep relationship is one of the most profound relationships in all of the word of God. We realize that it wasn't something they just came into and said, Hey, I I want a job out in the shepherd field. No, no, no. They were apprenticed. They went under the tutelage of another person. They gave their life over and, and, and did that as a way of life. They would stay in the field. And just like King David, who became one of the greatest kings of Israel, was a young boy in the field as a shepherd. And it was because he took the lion. And it was because he took the bear that he was able to stand before the Philistines who was uncircumcised and was speaking against the God of Israel and say, hey, I dare you speak against my God. And he went to him with five simple stones indicating the grace of God and he destroyed him, beheaded him and became one of the greatest kings of all time. Why? Because he realized that he was a shepherd and that he had a shepherd overseeing his life. And see, our shepherd did something profound that no other God did. He gave his life for you and I so that we may have life. See, every other God, if you study world religions, and I've studied them all, I realize that they all want something from you. They want you to give your life. You know what my Bible says in Romans 12 and 1 and 2, and it says this, I beseech you, brethren, therefore by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies to what? Say it with me. A living sacrifice. God is not asking you to die for him, church. He's asking you to live for him. He's given his life for you. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to clean your act up. He didn't wait for you to get it all together. I shared with you some time ago that there was, a, there was a couple who wanted to get married and they came to me crying a week before their marriage and they said, you know what, I, I, I wanna, I wanna, we want to get married. I said, what's wrong? And they said, well, we had a preacher that was going to marry us and when he found out there was going to be alcohol at the reception after the wedding, uh, he said he wouldn't do it. And, and I respect this person and it's fine and there's, there's no problem with that. Everybody has a position that they have to take and stand and we all got to stand before God. But the reality was they said, well, you do the wedding. I said, sure, I'm not standing for the reception. But check it out. I'll do the wedding. You know what I did? I sit down and asked them. I said, let me ask you guys something. Do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Are you saved? And they, they both started crying, held their head down and said, you know what? We've been in church. We know who God is. But no, we're not saved. Well, here's the reality. You can't expect conviction to come over someone if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're wanting to clean the world up and get them in the church so they'll look like us, worship like us, smell like us, talk like us, all the religious jargon, all the while. I love what uh, uh, Craig said, uh, Craig, what's his last name? Johnson, where are you at, Craig? There, he's back in, he's in medical. Did we hurt him already? Craig prayed up there a minute ago. He said, Lord, I pray you bring people into the house today. And Lord, if they got trash, and I just want to honestly tell you, I thought he was about to say, Lord, pray them to, pray them to leave their trash at home. You know what he said? Lord, I pray you bring people in the house today, and if they got trash, I pray they bring it with them. Because here's the reality. We want people to come in who are broken, who are disenfranchised from a holy God. Now, everybody has to stand before God. I'm not, please hear me. I'm not condoning or anything. I'm just telling you that that's how God brought something into my life. Sometimes we've got to be careful got to be careful how we look at people we got to be careful when people come in what if somebody comes in 
We saw this several weeks ago. What about if somebody come in and they had alcohol on their breath and you know they've been on a 10-day on a, on a drunk and they walk down with barefoot? Let me tell you what. Hey, brother, you can have a seat on the front row for my church because here's what we believe. That is what Jesus died for. That is how you used to look to the, to the world. That was the way you were when God brought you out of that depravity. We all stink before a holy God, quite frankly. But the reality is, is we have a good shepherd who gave his life. And then number five, John 11 and 25 says it this way. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he what? Live. When you see the dialogue that unfolded in John chapter 11, you'll understand that verse a lot better. Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. You know the story. They lived in Bethany, and they sent word to Jesus, who was, who was probably two days' walk away. And they said, you need to come quickly. Your friend Lazarus, the one who you've had dinner with, he's sick. And, and we need you to come right now, and we need you to heal him of his sickness. Because we know you love him. We've already declared that. And Jesus, the Bible says, he had to tarry yet a few more days in the place that he was. Why? What we find out as the story unfolds, the disciples are looking at him going, you love him. Why would not you go and heal him? He says, no, he's going to be all right. And there's a dialogue that ensues back and forth. And then we realize that when... When he came to Bethany, he was four days late, quote, unquote. And let me use that loosely. Martha came running up to him, and she said, Oh, Lord, Master Adonai, had you been here, uh, your friend Lazarus would not have died. He said, Oh, Martha, Martha, guess what? Your, your brother, he will live. And she said, Oh, I know he'll live in the last day and the resurrection. Watch this. She was looking to a time and a moment down the quarters of time. And he said, Oh, no, no, no. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. She was looking at the resurrection face to face, yet she was looking at a time down the quarters of time. And you and I do the same thing. The resurrection, Jesus Christ. You ever heard the song, he's got the whole world in his hands? Maybe y'all heard that. If you don't raise your hand, I'll break out and sing it right now. You don't want me to, I promise. But watch this, he's got more than that. The galaxies, the universes, all of millions of light years away, he created it all. He can count the sands on the seashore. He knows, the Bible says, he knows the hairs on your head. Some of you, not that many. But let me give you three things real quick in this context. That he is the one who also rules over time. See, we're looking to a time and a date in, in, in place. Oh, no, no, no. He's the ruler over the right now. And watch this. He has the power over creation. Evolutionists have a problem with this, Chad. Evolutionists cannot get their head around the fact that we didn't come out of some mire of amoeba or, or better yet, a, a monkey. You know, it's interesting. When we teach that in the schools and we tell people that they evolved from a monkey, it's no wonder that our young people are acting like wild animals. The re you laugh, but think about it. And, and, and let me just give you a, a science 101 class. Let me just give you this real quickly. Let me give you a definition for evolution. This, this is interesting. Brilliant minds cannot get their head around this. And I'm not that brilliant. Don't need to name me, but watch. Biological definition of evolution is a change in the gene pool of a population from generation to generation by such processes as mutation, natural selection, and genetic drift, a process of gradual, peaceful, progressive change or development whereby one becomes another. If we came from a monkey, why are they still monkeys? 
That's, that's in and of itself aborts the whole issue of evolution. But let me give you one step further. If they believe in evolution, here's what they don't have to put their hands on. They don't believe in the garden account. They don't believe in Adam and Eve. They don't believe in the sin and the temptation by the serpent. They don't believe in the fall of man and the expulsion out of the garden. And therefore, they don't have to believe in the need for a Savior to be reborn. This is not an issue of where we came from. This is an issue of, 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 of dynamic differences because of religious sake. The hope is this. Jesus was in the beginning, but he came and he pursued us, and he came after us with his heart and with his love. Michael Behe wrote, wrote, a, wrote a book called Darwin's Black Box, and it spoke to the molecular challenge of evolution. I'm not going to get too deep with this, but I want you to understand this. This is profound. In this, he spoke to something that Darwin understood and taught, and it's called irreducible complexity. And this is it in a nutshell, that things, if you take the complexity of something like a human and reduce it down to its lowest irreducible level, you can find out its origin and where it came from. Simple enough. Now take the human body with over 30 trillion cells and just remove that for a moment and get down to one cell, just one cell. In those cells have rods known, known as chromosomes. Within that you have genetic makeup and that is determined by mine and your DNA. And you know what he found out in this book? He found out in this book that even if we were to write a book on just the ge genetic makeup and our DNA on one cell... Out of the 30 trillion, it would take 600,000 books to contain the information in one cell DNA. What does that mean? It means that God made it. It means that Jesus spoke it in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Say, Mark, why is that important? Here's why it's important for me. The reality is, Mark, you don't believe in the Big Bang? Oh, I absolutely do. I believe that in the beginning, God created. Bang. And he said, let there be light. Bang. And he said, let there be a firmament from above and beneath. Bang. And he went all the way through. And then on the sixth day, he said, let there be man. No, he didn't. He stopped time. And he sat down. And he took intimacy. And he put man together and fashioned together. And put his mouth against his nostrils, breathing in him and he became a living soul bang and then he said oh it's not good that man be alone aren't you glad man say amen and he brought a woman out of the rib created her brought her to him and it came and helped me bang the reality is god created it takes less faith to believe what i just told you than it does to believe that we evolved out of disorder and became more orderly i have a problem with that and if you don't then I would suggest that you go and take a bunch of parts and set them together in a salvage yard of a car lot and go and sit them there and come back in 100 years and see if you got a car because it would be easier for that to happen than it would be for you and I to come out of nothing. The fact is, is he has the power of creation. We also believe that he has, he's the preserver over creation. Colossians 1 and 16 says, By him all things were created, whether heaven and earth, visible, dis invisible, thrones dominions principalities and powers all things were created by him and for him in verse 17 by him all things what consist are held together what in the world keeps the earth spinning on its axis at over a thousand miles an hour at the equator's point yet we all st stay sticking to the earth and not flying out in outer space who was it i think it was jesus and watch this when stephanie and i went to um went to alaska we saw the perplexity of sustainability of God's creation. The humpback whale, 50, 60 tons. They eat 5,000 5, pounds of fish and krill per day. 
And they only do this for three months out of the year. And then they travel the farthest of any migratory animal in the entire world. And they don't eat for the remaining nine months. And they come back to that same spot and start over again. Consider a salmon. A salmon is born in a freshwater stream. And the complexity of that, for two years they live there. After two years they leave and they go to salt water. Only animal that can do that. They stay out there for four years and watch this. Come back to the very spot. They can smell the very spot they were born for over five miles away. They come back and they spawn and within 15 minutes the female will die in the very spot that she was spawned in. That's complexity. Think of a bear. He eats one third of his weight in three or four months and then he shuts his body down temperature wise, heart rate rate wise. 70% of its normal capacity goes into a den. You say, Mark, why does that matter? Because that alone answered the question to exactly what the animals did on the ark. I've heard all over the place people say, how you got all those animals on the ark and they're not eating all this stuff? And Let me tell you, maybe God just let them hibernate like he does a bear. Why? Because the perplexity of God's sustainability makes sense to him. He can do anything. He's God. Because he's the preserver over creation. And ultimately, you look, at, you look at mankind. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but y'all are complex. Some of y'all more than others. Don't look at your spouse. But we're complex. None of us are alike. The thumbprint we have on our life is not just our scientific DNA, but God's spiritual DNA. What God has called you to do no one else in the world can do. Young people, hear me. I'm, I'm going to give you credit today. I don't believe you're here because mom and dad drug you here. I believe you're here because you want to be. I believe you're here because you're living in a culture where you're tired of what the world is saying about you. You know what you're called? You're called Generation X. You know what that means? They don't know what to do with you. They just x you out. But if you study Scripture, you realize some of the greatest movements And the history of the world came out of a young person. You're profitable now. You're profitable in in, in middle school, in grammar school, in high school, in college. And listen, please don't do, like many of us and and, and parents, adults, let's get your hand up if you know what I'm talking about. Let's don't wait until you get older and you go, now I can do it. Oh, no, no, no. Take advantage of it now. Grab the world by the throat. Don't be like Nike, just do it. No, let God do it through you. Grab onto God's heart and be everything he's called you to be and watch you. You're going to change this generation. You know what? We do have a young church. You know what? Praise God for that. We got 20-something kids in the back. Y'all need to pray for them in the back. 20-something kids. Have you ever tried to change 20 diapers at once? You know God's all in that. Number six, real quick. He is that which makes his way back to God. As the band comes, I'm not done, but I just want you to, I want to get that past us because I want y'all to look at this. John 14, verses 1 through 6, John says, Jesus speaking, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. One of the the disciples said, how do we know the way? How do we get to where you are? Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the way. Not a way, not many possibilities. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. That's it, guys. Mark, don't you think we need to be a little bit more tolerable in this time in which we live? No, I don't. I don't. Let me tell you something. When you go to the doctor, you don't want that doctor looking at you and say, all right, here's the deal. 
I think you got one of about 25 different things. And I'm going to give you 15 different medicines. And you go home and you start taking them and find out which one works for you. Because, you know, I'm not real sure. You want him to be not tolerable. You want him to be narrow-minded. You want him to focus in on one thing and say, here's what you got. Here's what you need to take. Roll on. Can, can I get a witness? How many of you have flown in an airplane? You don't want that guy sitting up front going, hey, man, how you want to land? I don't know. Let's try over there in that guy's yard. That's like we were sitting on a plane one time going to Trinidad. I had a guy sitting there with me the first time ever flown. I mean, Joker's feet were on the back of the seat. I'm sitting over there with him. I'm thinking I'm going to pray with him. I'm holding on. Joker's squeezing my hand. He's rocking that thing out. And, and the guy comes over, the, uh, the, the captain comes over the aircraft. He says, y'all pardon the, 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 hesit, the delay for just a moment. We're trying to find out from the engineers how much gas to put in the plane. Guy looks at me. He goes, fill it up. I don't want a narrow-minded pilot sitting there going, you know what, let's try it today without the landing gear. Let's just do something fun. You don't want a narrow-minded preacher, a narrow-minded gospel, I mean, an open-minded, tolerable gospel coming in and going, here's a couple of ways you can get to Christ. Here's a couple of ways you can do it. You can be baptized, you can skydive, you can be dunked, you can dip and pray, pray. You can do whatever you want to do. But the reality is, I want somebody going, there is but one way, and his name is Jesus. Grab on to Jesus, your life will change. There's your big bang. There is no other way, no other concepts, no tolerance. But here's the problem. We live in a culture today. What is going on in mine and your culture today would not have been tolerated, Bill, when we were in school. Today, you're not locked up for being those things. Today, you are raised to the top as a hero for being a blasphemer, for for being crazy, for being idiotic. Let me explain to you what I mean. And please hear me. Your children, my children, my grandchildren, they're walking into a corrupt world that you and I didn't walk through 20 years ago. Go back to 1953 on the Ed Sullivan Show. Elvis Presley couldn't even dance below the hips on TV for gyrating his hips. Today, you watch TV today, they're saying GD, they're blocking out some of the other things like Jesus Christ, but they're saying anything they want to say today. Last night on TV, and I saw this, I was passing through, Eddie Murphy Raw, 1987. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because some of you watched it. You know you did, but watch this. It was on TV last night. But watch this. There's a man, two men and two women in our culture that lead the following on Twitter. Kanye West, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Kim Kardashian. Oh, Martha, ain't nothing wrong with that. Kanye West wrote a book entitled The Book of Jesus. I think we have a... The Book of Jesus is called A Bible for the Modern Day. And in that, he has replaced every usage... For the name God or Jesus with Kanye West. In the beginning, Kanye created the heavens and the earth. It's just, this is not a facade. I've looked it up. I checked it. It's, it's on Amazon. On, the, on another cover of one of the advertisements for it, it shows him sitting with three girls. I think we have this one too. The girl over here on your right has red eyes and a serpent's tongue. Oh, aren't you? Thank God we live in a culture where they do parental advisory. God bless you guys. Aren't y'all awesome? Over here, you got the serpent's tongue. Not real sure what's going on with the other two girls. He's got on a crown of thorns, an upside-down cross, 
Something going on on his arm. But I want you to look right over here to the far left. There's a red hand and a shoulder of another image. I'm, I'm just, implication is it would be Satan sitting on his lazy boy throne. People are looking at this guy like he's either an idiot. Oh, oh, maybe it's just some, maybe it's just some little thing he's doing to get followers. Hey, you know what? Maybe it is. I don't know the guy's heart. But the problem is we're just allowing it to happen. Let's go to the next slide. Check this out. That's him on the cross if there's any concern as to what he's really saying. Look at the next one. Rolling Stone magazine. Top, one of the top selling magazines in the world. Pop culture. Cult following. The passion of Kanye West. Look at the next one. He calls himself Jesus Christ, and Jay-Z calls himself Jehovah. Not my words, theirs. Beyonce has started a church that's coming to Atlanta. Not much being said about this, but it is on Tumblr.com. It's the, it's the National Church of Bay, B-E-Y. And she has written her own Bible called the Babel, whereby you worship Beyonce. Oh, Mark, you just, you just scare tactics. You're just trying to... Well, let me read this to you. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Listen to what he said. In the last days, there will be perilous times. For men will be lover of themselves, lover of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, holy, unloving, despisers that are of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying the power thereof. For such a people, turn away. Turn away. And then the seventh one. John 15 and 1. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. You abide in Christ. Jesus Christ. The God of the universe who came in the flesh. Dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And he is the place where we connect. And as you study this, you realize that all these things that are happening have to happen. Mark, are you afraid to die? I'm not. Mark, are you afraid of what the world's going to come to? No, I'll tell you what. What's the world coming to? I'll tell you what it's coming to, Steve. It's coming back to Jesus. He's the origin. He's the sustainer. And he's the final goal. Make no mistake about it. People that I mentioned, and there's many, 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 many others. They don't have any, they've not cornered any market on Christ. This has been going on for thousands of years. But it's now coming into our culture. And we're allowing it to happen. When one lady can stand up and say, I'm opposed to prayer in the public reading of scripture in a public forum. And she makes it happen because we remain silent. You know what? I don't blame her. I blame us. I blame the church. We've lost our power. The power's still there. It's in Christ. What would happen? What would happen if every person under the sound of my voice began to bombard heaven on behalf of what God's called you to do in this life? You, just you, just you guys. Twelve changed the world. What could 300 do? 
What if you allowed Jesus to operate through your business, through your home, through your family, through your grandchildren, through your church? I submit to you that we could change the world. It may be just starting with this community. I'm going to ask you to do something for me today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed all over the room. I'm going to ask you to search your own heart today, not your neighbor's heart, not your child's heart, not your husband or wife. Search your heart. If you died today, do you know that you know that you know that you'd spend eternity in heaven? When I ask people that, most people say, man, I sure hope so. Let me tell you something. I don't serve a hope-so God with a hope-so gospel, with a hope-so message, and a hope-so redemption. He said, these things have I written you that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know him today as Lord and Savior of your life? If you don't, right here, right now, I want you to pray with me, block everything else out, and pray with me from your heart to God. And by his grace, through faith, you can be saved. You can be born again. You can be brought back into the fold. You can be made new. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, all things are made new. But you got to grab it. you got to ask for it. Would you pray with me right here, right now? Pray from your heart to God. Father in heaven, I am a sinner. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart to save me, to change me, forgive me of all of my sin, be the Lord of my life. And then ask him this, say, and Lord Jesus, help me to live for you until the day you call me home. If you pray that prayer, every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to I want to just right now, without any debate, any argument within yourself, I want you, if you pray that prayer boldly, quickly, unashamedly, right here, right now, lift your hand, lift it up high, say, I prayed and asked Jesus in my heart. God bless you, and God bless you, and you, and you, and God bless you, young people. God bless you in the back, seeking deliverance from alcoholism. God is breaking down chains right now. He's throwing them to the floor. You can walk out of everything that you brought in here today. You can leave it at this altar, but you got to give up. you got to die to self. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm challenging you. Jesus was not ashamed of you and me. He's not ashamed of you today. He's not ashamed of where you are. He has brought you here. His long suffering has allowed you to live to this moment, to this time, to say yes to Jesus, yes to salvation. So here's what I want you to do. If you prayed and asked Jesus Christ into your heart right here, right now, I don't want you to think about it. I don't want you to look at your spouse. I don't want you to look at your neighbor. I want you to get up right now, come to this altar. You're not joining anything. I'm not going to ask you to say anything, but there are men and women down front that are already waiting to pray for you. That's it. I promise. Nothing else has to happen. But I want you to do this when I count to three. Don't hesitate. Take one step. It'll change your life. On the count of three right now, do it. One, two, three. Go right now. Just come. Just come. Come on. Just come. Y'all give them a hand. People are coming. Come on. Don't be ashamed. Just get up. God bless you. God bless you. Everybody stand to your feet. Everyone stand to your feet. Let's make it easy for those people who have asked Christ into their heart. Here's what I want you to do. Mama, daddy, boy or girl, young person, high school, middle school school student, we all have something to pray about today. What if just today, what if this moment, if state troopers and teachers and principals and mamas and daddies would come to this altar and bombard heaven on behalf of our community, on behalf of our leaders, our schools, everything that's going on in the world. What if you begin to pray? What if you take a step today? I'm going to pray right here. I'm going to stand right here. If God has spoken to you and you just need to come shake my hand, turn around and walk away. Pastor David's over here. But I guarantee you, if you step out of your comfort zone, today young person college student step out come down here today and let's pray for our community for our church for our church leaders across this community let's pray today together
And let's watch God do something. Don't just stand still. I want you to move now. Y'all come pray. Some of you have never stepped out of that comfort zone. Maybe you were raised in a church differently from this. And here's what I know. Every week people tell me after we leave, say, man, I was that close to coming. What if this is it? What if this is your moment? What if revival and breakthrough are predicated on you moving or you not moving? Will you be the reason or will you be the catalyst? You may not have another option to come and be changed for this world and for this generation. Young people, I challenge you. Go grab your parents. Say, come pray with me. I got stuff going on in school. I got identity crisis. I got all these temptations. But I want to rise up. And I want to be great for my nation. I want to be great for my God. I want to be great for my school. As she sings, I want you to come. I challenge you, mom and daddy. Challenge your grandparent, young person. Come now.